I start the day with God because I've learned that how you set the rudder for the direction of your boat every day at the beginning is the way that day goes. I don't start my day with good morning, America. I start it with good morning, Lord. Good morning, America has nothing I want to hear, but I do want to hear from Jesus. So I start it with him. New Year is the same way. I've asked the Lord, Lord, let today be the way we go the rest of the year. In other words, let today set the target for the rest of the year. So we're going to start it talking about risk, risk. And uh, let's read Luke 5, some, starting with verse 1. And if you have your Bibles with you, grab them. Luke 5, I'm reading out of the New King James as opposed to the Old King James. New King James, and let's just read uh, one of my favorite Bible stories. I love this. It says, so it was as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And he asked him to put out or shove out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he turned to Simon and said, Launch out into the deep and let out your nets for a catch. Say with me, you never let Jesus use you, but what he doesn't bless you. Now look what he's about to do for Simon Peter. And Simon answered and said to him, Lord, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, that nevertheless changed his life. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. I love this. Use your sanctified imaginations. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. How many of you wish you could say that about your bank account? Man, it's so loaded down, it's starting to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he realized who was in the boat. He fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Who? Oh, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid from now on. You will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook everything and followed him. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray that this new year, as we launch out into the deep, that you will bless this new year with the blessing that Simon Peter saw, a net-breaking, boat-sinking load. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. I receive your word spoken right to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor it's going to be a great 2016. Amen. Now, as the door opens into a brand new year, I want to launch it 
with a message just called Risk. And this is going to be a series. I'm going to talk for four weeks on four aspects of risk as risk relates to faith. So I'm going to talk today about the risk of vulnerability. The risk of vulnerability. Next week, I'm going to talk about the risk of obedience. The third week, the risk of letting go. And then the fourth week, the risk of discipleship. This is going to be rich. This risk series is going to be rich. I I, I want us to set our sail today that we're going to sail in in the direction of the miraculous. That we're going to see the miraculous hand of God in 2016. How many of you believe God still does a miracle? I agree with you, but guess who he does miracles for? Those who step out on the risk that faith requires. Not many miracles happen to those who sit, soak, and sour, who come to church and sit on their blessed assurance and never really do anything. But, But miracles happen to those who receive and respond to the risk of faith. This series is going to be a challenge to our faith a challenge to launch out into the deep because any fisherman knows that's where the big fish are. And I want to go where the big fish are. Life is too short to fish for perch. I want the black bass. If I'm in salt water, I want the sharks. I want the big game. Because life is short. You wake up and you're old. You go, when did that happen? While you were aging? I mean, I look at it as 2016, I can't believe it. Here we are. So you know what? My mind is set. My face is set like a flint. That we're going to step out in faith this year, and we're going to see the miracles of God. I'm calling it risk. I could have called it a lot of things, but risk, because a walk of faith always involves a risk factor. Always. Now, let me footnote that with with, with something I really want you to get. I don't mean irresponsible risk. I don't mean foolish or stupid risk. I don't mean presumptuous risk, where you presume God is going to do something, but he hasn't really said it and you step out in presumption. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about the kind of risk that, 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 that involves obeying a genuine word from God and stepping out in faith. It's the kind of risk that, that, that Jesus requires where, where you are required to let go of security blankets, things that you've always held to for your security, but now the Lord says, I want you to take the risk of faith, and I want you to let go of that and step out. The kind of risk that that involves leaving what is familiar or stepping into the unknown and walking on the Word of God. Because when Peter was walking on the water with Jesus, he wasn't walking on the water. He was walking on a Word. Jesus said, come, and he walked on that Word. I'm talking about the kind of risk that Abraham took when he obeyed, the Bible says, and went even though he did not know where he was going. But he risked stepping out into the unknown. Or the risk that Noah took 
when it says he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, when there was no water to float it in, he risked. Or the risk that ten lepers took when they obeyed Jesus and began walking to find the, the priest that Jesus told them to go find, when as yet they weren't healed. When they left Jesus, they were not healed. When they walked away and he said, go find the priest, they were not healed. But they took the risk of obedience and they walked out on it, stepped out on it, and it says, as they went, they were healed. But up until they were healed, it was the risk of faith. They took a risk. And you know what? Our main subject of the story, Simon Peter, he, he fished all night long, and he caught absolutely nothing. And here comes Jesus at the rising of the sun, and he says, I want you to launch out in the, in the, in the deep for a catch. Simon took a risk to obey the Lord when in his fisherman's brain, and believe me, Simon Peter, he may not have been a, a, a scholar, though later he became an intellectual giant under Jesus. But at the time, he wasn't a scholar, but he did know fishing. And for him to go launch back out into the deep when Jesus said to, when they had caught nothing all night long, took a risk. There is always risk involved with faith, but it's a good risk. It's a sound risk. It's a reasonable risk. It is a biblical risk. It's a Jesus risk. Without taking a biblical Holy Ghost risk, we will never walk in life-changing, devil-defeating, miracle-releasing faith. It's not going to happen. If you like just keeping your, your pinky in the water and, and, and not diving all the way in, you're the kind of person that is on the outside looking in. You've never really, never really fully sold out to Christ. Those are not the kind of people, I'm sorry, that experience miracles. But it's the people who say, okay, Lord, I am all in. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to step out. And when you launch out into the deep, that's when you experience net-breaking, boat-sinking loads of blessing. That's when it comes. So I want to take this account of Jesus commanding Peter to launch out into the deep, and I want to bring a word in season for 2016. Bible says, a word in due season, how good is it? It's like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And I want us this year to, to, to be a church that launches into the deep according to the Word of God. Some of you, I'm going to rattle your cage today. Because it needs to be rattled. All right. I believe the reward for those of us who will launch out into the deep this year is going to be a great number of fish that our own net doesn't have room to hold. We're going to have to call for help. That's what I'm believing God for. So let's begin today by talking about the risk of vulnerability. The risk of vulnerability. Now, we notice first in our story, let me just give you the background. Jesus is teaching a large crowd of people. He's just starting his ministry. He has come out of the wilderness. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's teaching a vast multitude on the seashore. The sun has just risen over a placid sea, causing the calm water to, to glisten like a million diamonds. You've seen that. It's a beautiful thing to watch the sunrise over the water. 
Peter and his brother Andrew, that was the other person with him, Peter and Andrew, two brothers, just wrapped up a night of zero results with their fishing. In East Texas, we would have told them, you just got skunked. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I've been out there all night before and caught absolutely nothing. There's no feeling like it. Man, I put in all that time for nothing. I didn't even get a perch. I didn't even get a minnow. My minnow is still alive. <laughs> what is this? And, and I just picture these two men. They're moving slowly in discouraging motions as they clean their nets and prepare to go home with nothing to show for a night of work. They're going to tell their wives, dear, I got, I got nothing. I don't have anything. You could say they went home with an empty paycheck. Meanwhile, there's this young preacher on the shore. There's a huge crowd listening to him. Now, Peter knows a little bit about him. They know a little bit about this man named Jesus, but they, they don't know much. They've heard about this incredible miracle worker, this man who preaches like no one has ever preached, speaks like no one has ever spoken. He is a, he is a spellbinder. And this young preacher with a huge crowd, Jesus, suddenly has a need. The crowd had become so large that they were pressing him. And when that says pressing, here's the deal. Jesus was so attractive, not physically, because Isaiah said there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. But he was so spiritually magnetic. His words were so compelling. The wisdom and the presence that exuded off of him was so attractive that people wanted to touch him. They wanted to get in and just touch him. So they began to press him and draw close to him. So he thought to himself, I'm going to have to pull away. So he sees two empty boats, and he grabs one of them that happened to be Simon Peter's, and he, he, he gets into it. And he says to Peter, now here's Peter, bloodshot eyes, discouraged, no fish for the night. He's tired, he's weary, he's pulled that net in and thrown it back out over and over again all night long. He's ready to go to the house. Jesus says, shove out a little bit into the water. Peter made a decision. He shoved out into the water. Now, Jesus was using the water as an amplification system. The water became like an amphitheater for him because sound travels across water. You can shout a mile away across a lake and be heard. And here's Simon, or Jesus, and he begins to teach this massive crowd with his voice sailing across the water to their hungry ears. And Simon Peter is watching all of this. And it's just an incredible moment. If I could go back, if I had a time machine and I could go back, this is one of the scenes I'd love, to, I'd love to be in that crowd, watching this young 30-something man teaching this crowd, grace flowing through his lips, words nobody has ever heard. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the things that no one has ever talked to them about. He's totally unique. He sees these two empty boats. Here it is. He gets in, one of them. Now, I want to point something out here. The first thing I notice is Jesus was looking for something empty to use. Now, I want you to think about that. Peter's boat wasn't half full. It wasn't full of people. It was totally, completely empty 
And that fit the bill for what Jesus needed. He needed something empty he could get into. You see where I'm going with this. See, Jesus likes empty. God likes empty. You'd be amazed how many miracles happen in the Bible that began with something empty. I'll give you another one. When Jesus performed his very first miracle, it was at a wedding, and they ran out of wine. And here's what Jesus said. There's six great big jars or pots over there. I want you to go grab those empty pots. I'm going to do a miracle. And to do a miracle, I need to start with something empty. I need to start with something empty because when I got something empty, I can fill it. So I need something empty. And they brought those six empty jars to him, and, and suddenly there was wine. There was something to drink that, that, that even the host of the, the, the wedding said, I have never tasted anything like this before in my life. And you know what? They never have since then either because that was a miracle liquid created by Jesus in something empty. Something empty. He needed something empty to fill with a miracle. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When the prophet Elisha wanted to do a miracle for the widow who needed a financial breakthrough, you remember what he told her to do? He said, listen, I want you to go to all your neighbors, and I want you to find every empty jar you can. I'm quoting the Bible here. He said, go and gather from your, all your neighbors empty jars. He didn't say find something half full or two-thirds full or three-quarters full. He said, I need it to be completely and totally empty because I'm going to do a miracle with empty. I'm going to do something with empty. She did so, and every jar was miraculously filled with valuable oil that she sold and paid off her debt, her mortgage. It was all paid off. How many of you could stand a miracle like that today? But, but my only point is this. I want to tell you that God likes empty because God fills empty. He needed an empty jar here, an empty jar there, empty in many places. The only time he never filled empty is when Jesus rose in the tomb and walked out. It's still empty. It's still empty. And, and I got to tell you, he's not going to fill that empty because God likes that empty, because that, that kind of empty, when there, there used to be a Savior in there, a man named Jesus, he got up and came out, and it's never been filled again, and that tells us that empty tomb is what causes you and me to be filled. So empty is good there, but, but God is looking for something empty like you and like me. Don't you fit the bill? Don't I fit the bill? Because weren't you empty when Jesus saved you, and wasn't I empty when Jesus saved me? I remember being in juvenile home as a 16-year-old boy. I was empty with all caps, all caps. I mean, I was empty personified. There wasn't a part of my life. It wasn't empty. I had no future. I had no hope. I had no dream. I was empty of purpose, empty of destiny, empty of joy, empty of peace. I had none of the things that God can give. I was an empty young man in an empty jail cell with an empty future. And then I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus looked down and said, well, there's somebody empty that I can fill. There's somebody empty that I can do a miracle in. And I said, Jesus, I don't even know who you are, but I'm asking you to come into my heart because I believe you died for me. And when I did that, then he took my empty and he filled it. He took my empty and he filled it. 
And now sometimes I'm so filled I can't hardly wait for Sunday morning to let it out. I'm full of the Word. I'm filled with His Spirit. He took empty and filled it. He likes empty. Are you empty today? Empty of a future, empty of a destiny, empty of purpose. Have you ever noticed that you can be empty in one part of your life and the other part has fullness? You, you can have a great home but an empty future. Or you can have a, a, a real future in, in some business or some, something you've laid your hand to, but your home can be empty. You can have all kinds of money, but your soul feel empty. Have you noticed that you can have empty and full right next to each other in your life? And what I want you to know today is Jesus didn't call you to be empty. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it overflowingly, abundantly. My mother, I was talking to my mother this week. She was telling me about a friend of hers who has all kinds of money, but she's right now in a nursing home and doesn't even have one soul, not one family member, not anybody to come and talk to her and pray with her and be with her. And my mother said, my mother who is 92, who still drives, who still works, who still plays bridge several times a week, who's still fully lucid, has all of her mental faculties, she said to me this week, Jeffrey, I'm so blessed and I don't know why. And I said, well, you gave your heart to Jesus a long time ago, didn't you? And she said, yes. And I said, well, maybe he's just blessing you because you took so long, he's making up for lost time. <laughs> Could be. But she said, my little friend in the nursing home envies me. And she even has some anger at me because I don't have all the money she has, but I have family and I have faith and I have Jesus. See, you can, be, you can be full here and empty here. And my message today is he wants to fill that empty. He wants to fill your empty. He wants to fill your empty. What I love here is when we look at the life of Simon Peter, everything in his life changed when he allowed Jesus to enter the emptiness of his life. Because listen with me, the, the story tells us Jesus came into Peter's life in a moment of discouragement. He had an empty net and an empty boat and an empty heart. And Jesus stepped into his empty. And he offers the same to you. Listen to what he said, I stand at the door and I knock. You ever heard that knock? Do you know what that knock is when it's Jesus? Let me tell you how it comes. It's a nudge. It's a... It hits you here. He knows how to come to the door of your heart and rat-a-tat-tat. And you know what it is because he deals with our soul. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, now look at where it comes to you, and opens the door. I will come in to him. And have dinner with him and he with me. He's promising relationship that fills the empty. Amen. 
He's promising relationship that fills the empty because, see, nobody can fill your heart like Jesus. You do have a God-shaped hole in your soul, and nothing is going to fill it. Not drugs, not endless relationships, not alcohol, not some different philosophy, nothing. But the Holy Ghost that comes through Jesus because you've been wired to walk with God, hardwired to walk with God. Now I want us to see today that in order for Peter to experience this very first encounter and his very first miracle, listen, he had to make himself vulnerable. Jesus was ready to step into his boat, but guess what? Peter had to say yes. Now let me tell you why I say that. Peter's boat was his life. It was the source of his livelihood. It was his prized possession. Peter's boat was literally an extension of Peter. He knew that boat better than he knew himself. Every square inch of that vessel was familiar to this salty old fisherman. He knew that boat inside out like some of you guys know your car. Touch your car, man, they touched you. Some of you get a new one, you park in a parking lot, way out where no one else is. Let somebody ping you and hurt your sacred car. Don't you touch my car. You leave that car alone. Why? Because that car is an extension of me. Peter. We might say this, that, that Peter's boat was his special private space. Peter got into that boat not just when he needed to fish, uh-uh. He got into that boat when he needed to be alone. He got into that boat when he needed to calm his nerves. He got into that boat when he needed to get away from it all. All men, men, listen, most of you men in here, you've got a man cave. If you're married, your wife knows he's in the man cave. Don't go knock on the door. He's in the man cave. I've got one. Ask Kathy. Where's Jeff? Oh, he's in the study. That's my man cave. I go in there and I shut the door, and it's me in my cave. And I study, and I read, and I pray, and I just get by myself. Listen, the, the boat was his space, his private, personal space. And when Jesus... First stepped into Peter's boat, a decision had to be made on his part. Listen, no, no question. Do I let him into my boat or do I ask him to find another boat? You know, Jesus, uh, you know, I, I'll listen to you from the seashore, but I, getting into my boat, I don't know. That boat, that, that boat is me. That, that boat is where I live. I, it's one thing. I'll come to the shore and listen to you, but I don't know, Lord, let you into my boat. Really, you want to get into my boat? Are you sure? Can't you do this some other way? And why'd you pick my boat? He never picks anything by mistake. He picked Simon's boat knowing it was Simon's boat, knowing that this man would shake the world just a few years later. He got into his boat. He said, whoa, wait a minute, you're in my boat. Okay, I got a decision to make. Do I let you into my space? Or do I tell you to go find another space? It was a defining moment for Peter when to let Jesus stay 
required becoming vulnerable. It meant letting Jesus into his special, private, personal space. It meant trusting Jesus with his stuff. When the Lord first began to deal with me about getting into my boat, and and that's when I first began to realize he wants my life. The boat represents the life, our life. That's the boat. It represents our life. And when I first began to sense, hey, Jeff, I, I, want, I want into your whole boat. Oh, well, Lord, I just wanted a ticket to ride when the rapture happens. I thought it was just a matter of getting saved, and that's it. No, Jesus said, you don't understand. I want into your, and when I first realized he wanted into my boat, I'm going to tell you the truth. It created fear. I wasn't thinking about what he was going to do for me. I was worried about what he was going to do to me. What would he take away? What would he require? What would he, and this is the biggest one, what was he going to turn me into? Was I going to end up with, now this is when I had hair down to here, part down the middle, hippie glasses, whole bit. Is he going to turn me into one of those short hair I'm about to describe myself? (laughs) That just occurred to me just now. Is he going to turn me into one of these short-haired people wearing a suit? Oh, gosh. That just now occurred to me. But you know what? I don't care. No, or am I going to wake up one day on the far side of Africa, a missionary? What's he going to do to me? Am I going to be a Bible thumper, one of those obnoxious people that I try to duck and dodge when I see him come? Is that what he's going to turn me into? In other words, here's the deal. It was one thing to let him save my soul to give me fire insurance for heaven, but it was something else entirely to open the door to all the rooms in my soul. Now listen, the rooms that were under lock and key, the rooms only I went into, you've got those rooms, and, and, and so do I, and so did I, and that's where it's scary to be vulnerable. The room holding my failures, the room holding my hurts, the room holding my secrets, The room holding my dreams. I want the key to the locks to all your rooms. I want into your whole boat, stem to stern. That requires becoming vulnerable. We've all got those rooms, and some of you in here are tightening up right now as I talk about it. Because you know that to open those rooms to anyone is to make yourself vulnerable. And here's why you're vulnerable. Because whoever you let into those rooms, when you were hurt, when you were abused, when you were betrayed, when you failed in a way that you hoped to the Lord no one ever knows, those rooms, if you let anyone in, they have power to hurt you. Because they have information that is sacred. It's the boat. But this is what Jesus asked for. 
And this is what he wanted from Peter. Listen again to Jesus. Look, he says, I've been standing at the door and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. The Lord is doing so much more here than just saying, believe in me so you can be saved. This verse is about so much more than that. He's not just saying, believe in me and be saved. He's asking for access to the whole boat, stem to stern, the whole boat, to who we really are, to all of our secrets, all of our hang-ups, all of our successes, all of our failures, strengths, and insecurities. Let me into your boat. And that scared Jeff. Become vulnerable to me. And that's what Peter had to do when he let Jesus not just into the boat, but take control of the boat. Launch out. Take this boat deeper. Get it away from the shore of safety. Pull away when you don't think you should. Launch out when you're tired. Launch out when you're weary. Trust me with your boat and with your life. That's what's happening here. So first, Jesus needed something empty to fill. Then he needed access to Peter's boat to his life. And Peter essentially said, here's the keys to all the rooms in in my life. Here's my boat. It's yours. I'm going to do what you say. What a picture of salvation here. And here's what I see. Jesus, once he was led into the boat, totally transformed Peter's boat and Peter's life. That boat was never the same once Jesus got in it. Man, I'm going to get this CD. I'm going to listen to it on the way home because we need to hear this. Jesus doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to bless you. Jesus doesn't want to take from you. He wants to give to you. Jesus doesn't want to ruin your boat. He wants to bless your boat. Look at the boat before Jesus got in. Before Jesus stepped in, Peter's boat was the scene of discouragement. It was a scene of dashed hope, of fruitless labor, of weariness and emptiness. And if that doesn't describe our culture, I don't know what does. But when Jesus got into his boat, it immediately became the scene of three things. And here they are. Divine blessing was the first one. The Word of God immediately flowed from the boat to the hungry masses. Right now, if you could have seen me when I was 16 years old, there wasn't any blessing coming out of me to anybody. But since Jesus got into my boat, you know what? Hungry masses have been filled with the Word of God with Jesus speaking out of my life to others. The very same thing that happened to them happened through me and will happen through you. See, Jesus wants to bless you so you can bless others. Peter led him into his boat, and all of a sudden the masses are being fed the Word of God, the life-changing, eternal Word of God, out of a formerly empty boat. Blessing. Then divine miracles. A catch of fish unlike anything Peter had ever seen. i got to say here, what if... He had never let Jesus. What if he had said, Jesus, you know what? I'm just tired, man. Can you get in that boat? Look at what he would have missed. Look at what he would have missed. He would have missed the catch of his life. A catch of fish unlike anything Peter had ever seen. We're focusing on that next week big time. But look at a catch of fish 
that, that absolutely blew his mind. A miracle happened. And miracles happen when you become vulnerable with God. Okay? And here's the best part, divine destiny. So blessing, miracles, and destiny. Listen to what happened. The Bible says that when Peter saw the great catch of fish, he fell on his face, realizing this man is not normal. This man spoke to fish, and they filled my net. This man has produced a miracle. He's God. He fell at his feet, and he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He got convicted of his sin right on the spot. This is a picture of salvation, folks. He got convicted of his sin. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Get out of my boat, Lord. You, you don't know where you are. I'm a sinful man. What are you doing in my boat? On that, out, uh, on that boat, which just hours before had been a scene of discouragement and failure, Peter received his calling in life. His divine destiny unfolded before him when Jesus said, Don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you will catch men. Destiny. Destiny. This is what you were born for, Peter. And you had to let me into your boat. And you had to be vulnerable with me before you discovered your call. It all began with taking the risk of vulnerability by letting Jesus into his boat.